This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Benner, and today you're listening to episode 50 with Rachel Gersten. Rachel is the co-founder of a mental health practice in New York City called Viva Wellness. She is super passionate about helping others live their happiest and healthiest lives, whether that is in their jobs, relationships, family, or finding their own passions. She describes herself as an obsessed runner, having run over 150 New York Roadrunners races. It's impressive and we dive deep into that. Rachel's work is founded on the belief that a person's mental, physical, and social health are all very important and intertwined with each other. In this episode, Rachel dives deep into how her own journey with chronic health has led her to encourage others to be an advocate for their own health. We also talk about how her and her business partner, Jarrell, became partners and started their own practice, as well as the behind the scenes of Viva Wellness and her passions within the therapy field. I hope you enjoy this episode and you learn a little bit more about not only the mental health field, but also how you can be an advocate for yourself in all that you do. All right, today on the Illuminate podcast, we have Rachel Gersten, and I'm just so excited to have you on the podcast today, Rachel, because... I recently had your business partner, Jarell, on the podcast and just love the statements that Viva Wellness stands for and kind of just the different approaches that you take for mental health. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. And, you know, if Jarell did it, that means I have to as well. So I'm glad to get my turn. (laughs) Yes. We'll dive into your friendship and um, business partner relationship in a little bit here because I think it's... Seems like something that really is working well for both of you. Yeah, definitely. Um, It is a huge part of why Viva Wellness is successful. I definitely could not do this with anyone else. All right. So you're a therapist, a business owner, a runner. Um, I saw you're a five-time black belt in martial arts, and you just seem to be so full of joy and love for others. What what am I missing, Rachel? Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, I feel like that pretty much covers it. Um, And I appreciate that feedback because, you know, it's 2020. We're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't always feel full of joy. So I'm glad I'm exuding that to other people. That makes me happy. Yeah, I listened to you on a different podcast earlier just to learn a little bit more about you. And I that's kind of just what I pulled from it. You talked a lot about um, just the joy that running brings you and different things in life. And it just seemed like that was kind of what you were full of. And it was really cool to hear. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. And when I'm running, I'm definitely, well, I shouldn't say I'm always full of joy. I'm always full of joy when I'm done and usually when I'm running. So, (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So is there kind of anything else that I'm missing? What else? What else would you describe yourself as? That is, you had a pretty well encompassed list right there. And I really like that you pulled the black belt thing. That's usually my like, <laughs> you know, in icebreakers where people do yeah. be like, what's one thing that people don't know about you? That's usually the thing I pull, but like, good job. Um, yeah, I would say that that pretty much is how I would describe myself to most people. Um, obsessed sports fan usually makes its way in there as well. Um, but, you know, that's kind of like a side note after everything else. Yeah, so as we mentioned, you are the co-founder of Viva Wellness, um, a holistic mental health practice in New York City. Um, But I do want to just, before we get into that, I do want to take a step back and learn a little bit more about you before Viva Wellness. You used to be the program director for a company that worked with people facing homelessness that had disabilities and were kind of living in poverty. I just, I'm really interested in that. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. So yes, I pre-Viva Wellness, I was the program director of a men's mental health shelter. So it was, I'm totally blanking on the number, about 200 people of men diagnosed with mental illness who were facing homelessness. 
So I got into that kind of by accident. My fieldwork placement in grad school was one of the best experiences, and it was working with clients with severe mental illness in a day program. And from there, I kind of just continued to get into positions with that population. Um, both mine and Jarrell's first job out of grad school was actually together as well. Um, fun fact, we worked together oh, no before way. Viva Wellness. Yeah, totally unintentionally. And we ended up with desks right next to each other. <laughs> also not in, not intentional at all. This was at the uh, men's mental health? No. So this was this was at a different housing program. Um, oh, okay. Year, uh, wow, like 10 years ago at this point. We're old. Um, but so yeah, fun fact, we this is our second stint working together. But for the five years that I um, worked there prior to Viva Wellness, I was in different management roles. And then ultimately, right before I left, I was the program director. Um, and so it was kind of just by accident. I like working with the population, but ultimately you know, without getting into like too many details of not so great experiences. It just the system itself wasn't for me. I wasn't feeling like I was really making a difference um, in terms of the way I wanted to. You know, I a lot of my passions personally weren't really integrated with what I was doing with work. And that's super important to me. And so it was just kind of time to make the change. And, you know, for a while I was sitting there with like, I know this isn't working but I'm not really sure what to do, right? Like, you know, I'm not a lottery winner. I'm not related to Jeff Bezos or anyone super rich. So like I couldn't <laughs> leave my job without mm -hmm. knowing what I was going to do instead. And this is something, you know, Viva was something Jarell and I always talked about as like a what if type of situation. And on a long run with a friend in marathon training, I had kind of given her this idea and she was like, well, why aren't you doing that? And I'm like, I don't know why I'm not doing that. And I was like, Jarell, it's time. Let's go. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how that turned out. What are the like steps to starting your own um, practice? Like what are kind of the, the pros and cons that you weigh to working in a job like you were previously where you were in a system that was already there compared to starting your own practice? Like what, what are the deciding factors that go into that? Oh, so I think that it was something where my life had kind of shifted. Um, I got more serious about running. Um, I was, I guess, somewhat recently married. It had been about a couple, it had been two years um, before I started Viva Wellness. And it just the, my priorities were different. You know, I wanted something that was more um, fulfilling, for lack of a better word. I wanted something that what gave me a little bit more free time to prioritize other things that were important to me. Part of the issue with my former job was that the commute was insanely long and just ate up so much time. Um, yeah, and I just feel like this was kind of the way I wanted to really fulfill what I was passionate about with healthcare and mental health. And this was something that I had always thought of like pre-grad school, you know, when I knew I wanted to go into the mental health field, I was like, one day I'll work in private practice. So it wasn't entirely a just like idea out of the blue. And Jarell and I had talked about this in like the hypothetical for years. Um, but I think one of the biggest challenges that I was not necessarily prepared for is it's a lot. Um, there's a infamous story in which when we were trying to get everything set up in order to lease our first office space, where I cried on the phone to someone at American Express <laughs> because it was that frustrating <laughs> yeah. and just that overwhelming. Um, and the American Express rep just like didn't know what to do with me, but that was where I was at the time. So it is what it is. And it was just a really difficult transition. It's totally different. You know, you're not leaving work at work. You are work. So like work goes wherever you go because mm -hmm. it is you. Um, but I think that's actually ironically what made me know that it was the right decision because even throughout all of that and like crying on the phone with a random like customer service rep, I was still like, no, this is still what I want to do despite the fact that like I'm losing my mind to strangers right now. So do you have a lot of like extra business side of things? I want to hear kind of the behind the scenes of the differences of being in someone else's practice or being in a different type of business compared to having your own practice and being the business owner. Yeah. So I came from a very like managerial, not direct practice kind of role. Um, I didn't meet with clients before I started Viva Wellness, like in my former job, like it was very like administrative and that's kind of debatable, actually, like what I love more doing therapy or like being a business owner. When I was 10, I have this memory of 
playing with a friend in my apartment complex and we played business. Like we had computers we made out of rocks and my favorite store was Office Max because I was a totally normal child. Um, <laughs> that's everyone's favorite store is Office Max when they're 10. So like that part of me has like always been there of like, I just really like being in that managerial administrative role. And so how Jarell and I split the business specifically is really plays to our strengths, whereas that's mostly my jam. Um, because it's something I enjoy and it's something he does not. And so I think, yes, that's usually, you know, when people, when I mentioned like people are like, oh, I, I want to go into private practice. Like it is very administratively heavy. And to be honest, like because of how many hours that takes up, I don't know that I could do it without a business partner who is doing kind of the other side of like he edits all our podcasts and, you know, he'll construct our weekly newsletter, which are all things I want nothing to do with. <laughs> um, and as a result, you know, he sees more clients. And I think something that also people don't realize about therapy is that therapists are super underpaid. You know, thank you, healthcare in America. But as a result of that, you have to, in order to make it really work financially, you're working a lot of hours if you're doing it by yourself. You know, one might even argue an impossible amount of hours. And so I think that's something to really consider, you know, when if somebody's ever looking to do this, is that there is a lot of behind the scenes stuff in terms of billing, in terms of, you know, any type of issues with the space in terms of, you know, making sure that like the office is stocked, so to speak, recruiting new clients, dealing with billing and um, the business finances. And so it's just a lot. And, you know, to do that solo, I can't even imagine. I'd probably still be crying. And you and Jarrell do have like a really big presence on social media, both you two individually and then Viva Wellness in itself um, with your podcast and just your social media channels. And as you mentioned, um, the newsletter and stuff like that. Is this kind of something you guys do above and beyond? Because I know Viva Wellness in itself, you guys kind of do portray like a different take on um, mental health counseling and therapy and just kind of a different business model in general. So is the social media presence and kind of being out there a different take on it as well? Yeah, definitely. So I think there's more now a few therapists, individual therapists that have kind of a social media presence. Um, but I think we do it differently because it comes from a place where we want to be a mental health resource for everyone. And similarly to how we approach therapy with clients who see us in person, we don't believe that there's a right way to do therapy, which is also mm. very different from other private practices. We're going to tailor it to the person sitting across from us and what they need at that given point in time to feel supported in wherever their journey takes them at that point in time. So at the same time, there might be people who can't see us in person for whatever reason or don't want to. But that doesn't mean that we can't help them live better. And so that's why we kind of say, okay, like we're going to put some information out on social media. Maybe that's where you are, where that's the stage you're at. You're like, I want to get some mental health and wellness information on social media, but like I'm tapped out after that. Okay, cool. We want to help. You know, if people want to then read the blog or listen to the podcast or download some of the resources on the website and that's their investment level. Cool. We got you. Um, versus just saying like, oh, you know, we really want to help you. And re we really believe in kind of making the world a healthier place, but like only if you see us in person. Like, no, because there's limitations to everything. And so we're trying to put out as much information and as many helpful things to be able to reach and assist literally as many people as possible. Oh, I just love that. It shows your passion for, again, your joy and passion for people and, and just trying to reach as many as possible. And I think... You know, thinking back to my interview with Jarrell, one of the things he mentioned when I, I asked him, how often do you have a client that, that you just don't fit with and, and they leave or switch to a different person or whatnot? And he made mention that it doesn't happen often because he does have that presence on social media. And it made me stop and think like, oh, I never would have kind of put that together that they kind of know you, both of you before going in. I mean, not not all your clients, I'd assume, are kind of following that or listening to the podcast sure. and whatnot, but kind of a different take than I then I would have thought that, okay, wow, like it's easier to make good fits then because they know what, what to expect when they meet with Jarrell and, and yeah. yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also a really big um, value that we hold in that we're people first. Like I think that's something that 
is definitely common in other therapy practices and other healthcare practices in general is that people forget that we're he- we're all humans like we're a human connecting with another human mm-hmm. and so while obviously we are trained with different skills to work through difficult issues with people we're we're a person so i'm not going to try to hide who i am or be something that i think fits into like this this is who a therapist mold is because I'm just going to be myself as a professional person and develop this professional relationship with another with another person sitting in front of me and I think that's a more authentic and just vulnerable and compassionate and helpful way to interact with somebody because that's what it is you're developing a relationship with a person and to try to act inauthentic to who you are just doesn't seem like a really great thing to do especially when you're asking the other person to be so vulnerable with you to some extent that has to go both ways it's not going to look exactly the same in the room obviously Mm -hmm. but that authenticity and that openness like has to be mutual or else I mean I don't want to share personal and difficult things with somebody who I don't feel is being authentic with me. I love that. Do you feel like because you know your potential clients or current clients or people following along with the business are watching, do you feel like you ever kind of are held back in what you post just because you're like kind of trying to keep a little bit of a professional side of it on the social media front? I'm definitely mindful of it, but I think that's also natural for me. I'm not a huge traditional social media person in the sense of like, I would never be somebody who would kind of share every single detail of my day on Instagram. Um, That's just not naturally who I am. So I think anything I would be willing to share is appropriate for a client to see anyway. And if it's not appropriate for a client to see, I probably don't want anyone else to see it. Um, But I think that's something that, you know, training as a therapist teaches you is also just like how you relay information to people. So I think that that's something where, you know, where I'm mindful of posting captions on an Instagram post on my personal page, for example, is I'm more cognizant of like, okay, what might the perspective be of everyone who is reading this? And how can I make it relatable to the most people possible rather than just kind of like, spewing my thoughts as they come into my head. Okay, so I'm going to jump for, jump to a different time in life. I do, okay. you spoke a lot about Jarrell and it's connected with that. I do want to just kind of hear about your relationship. How did you, how did you meet? How did you become friends? And what did that look like going from friends to forming a business together and becoming business partners? Oh, Jarrell is going to love that I got to tell this story. Um, <laughs> so we, we went to grad school together. That's kind of the short answer. Um, We actually took a class called group counseling, where it's essentially, you know, you alternate between being group therapy participants and facilitators as the therapist. And we were co-facilitators. And there was a really just interesting incident with um, people in the group got really... um, hostile with each other, for lack of a better word. It was just like, it was a really volatile, really emotionally raw experience. And then it involved us. And then the next week we had to go back and be facilitators. And halfway through I quit on him and I was like, I'm out, I can't do this. Um, And somehow he still wanted to be my friend afterward and very true to who Jarrell is. He takes some time to warm up and he's very um, deliberate with his decisions. And so it was kind of like we had hung out in a group and casually and one day he told me in a class that we shared, he says, I'm come, gonna come over later and we're gonna play Wii. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's fine. And so like we sat and played Mario and then we were friends. Um, and through the years, Drell is my family um, and that predates Viva Wellness. He is considered like a, a son of my mother's. Um, I'm my mother's only child, but through both Jarrell and now my husband, she also, considers herself having two sons. Um, he's shared holidays with us. We share Yankee season tickets, you know, when the world is normal and we're allowed to leave our homes. And so that became a big tradition um, on Sundays when they're home and in season, we go to Yankees games. And it, he just became, he's my closest friend ever. And so it became, you know, actually at the Yankees games is when we started kind of talking about this idea of like, oh, what would you do if you won the lottery? What would like, what would you do for work? What would your dream be? And we kind of came up with this. And, you know, like I said, very appropriate to our relationship. Like one day I just G chatted him and I'm like, so it's time. And he was like, oh, okay, like, cool, let's go. Um, And I think what's different about us is that 
we already had such a open, honest, transparent relationship with each other that it made kind of transitioning to being business partners easier than it would for most people. Like we've gotten that question before of like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, how do you do it? And it's kind of like, this just feels like we, what we were supposed to be doing. Um, we always say it's very similar to getting married. You're entering a legal contract with this person. But we were so kind of intertwined in each other's lives already that it didn't really feel like a huge transition. Um, but it works. I think we also just our personalities, especially in business, complement each other. Like I said, we each do what the other person would want no business having to be responsible for. So it works out. Um, so yeah, it was kind of just like, this is what we were supposed to be doing. And we, at one point, finally decided to do it. Oh, I just love that hearing the friendship. And he spoke a little bit about that, just how you've been a a role model and a mentor and, and someone really important in his life as well. But I do have to ask, like, I've heard a lot about a husband and wife going into business together or best friends going into business together and just how like tricky that can be and how it can almost like ruin a relationship. Did you have any like reservations about the potential of that going into it? Honestly, not really. Just because, you know, we have a history of being real with each other. Like we've had we've had the fights where, you know, we're very transparent and very honest. And I think we're also, you know, thank you training and as a mental health counselor, but also both of us are pretty self-aware to be able to have the hard conversations without it turning hostile or resentful. Um, while there have definitely been disagreements, the one thing I'm very secure in is that we can have a hard conversation where even that we get emotional or have hurt feelings, but no one's going to resort to like name calling or storming out of the room or anything that would lead to that long term resentment. And so I feel pretty confident that like even if things really became difficult to manage, like we can get through that. And I think that just came from pre-business years of having those conversations and knowing like, okay, like we've had the fight and we got through it and it was okay. So why would that not happen again? So you talked about in grad school, you had to do like therapy sessions with your classmates. So you were basically like they were your therapist in class. Is that what I'm yeah. Kind of getting after. So you, yeah. <laughs> did you feel like you had pretty like raw and close relationships, not necessarily friendships, but relationships with a lot of your classmates? And is that kind of what helped form a really open relationship with Jarell? Yeah. I mean, I think that they're at the time, I think you're definitely more intimate with classmates than you would be otherwise in like a different program. Um, you know, I would be lying to say if 10 years later, I'm still close with a large number of people. But I think that was a huge foundation of mine and Gerald's relationship is that we got really like openly emotional in front of each other, involving each other early on. And I think like once you do that, well, all right, we've already kind of been here. So if it happens again, well, it's familiar territory at this point. That feels like kind of scary. I'm just thinking about my grad program of kinesiology completely out of the therapy realm but just sitting down with a classmate and kind of spilling all my anxieties and my thoughts and just kind of what I would talk to a therapist about that feels like kind of weird because you have to show up to class with them every day yep yep it was a very emotionally trying two years (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know there are pros and cons I think at times it was a lot and probably not always you know the best way to go about making someone feel comfortable in their chosen career path. But at the same time, I think it really taught me self-awareness and knowing who I am and having hard conversations with myself and learning how to dive really deep into some of like my own stuff, so to speak, which that was helpful. So pros and cons. Is this a thing at every grad program for therapy? To some extent, um, our program really goes hard on it. (laughs) Um, But to some extent, there is always some component of that. Just from the idea of that, you know, both that you should kind of know what you're asking someone else to do in the room with you, but also at the same time is that in order to be an effective therapist, like you have to be aware of your own stuff and what you bring into the room in order to potentially, you know, when appropriate, put it aside 
and know like if some if a particular feeling comes up for you when a client's talking like where that comes from mm, okay. in order to make it about the client rather than about you. Interesting. Yeah, I just I would never think about that, but I mean it's it is important to have to show up in a consistent manner and yeah, not bring your own personal experiences and emotions into a therapy session. Is that something you continue to do now? Do you I mean, do you personally still work on you know, maybe go to therapy yourself or kind of be honest and open with yourself so that you're not bringing that into the room with your clients? Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, And it's ongoing work. And I think that it's also too, you know, to make it a choice, right? Because there are times where I will share a personal story, you know, whether it's meaningful or just a casual run of the mill, you know, this happened to me last Tuesday and wasn't that funny. Um, But I make a choice and say, rather than just kind of reacting and sharing it, I say like, will this benefit my client? Is this helpful for me to share? And yeah, in order to know that and to be aware of that, it's ongoing work. And I think that's also why it's helpful to have a business partner that I trust so much is because like we bounce ideas back and forth where I'm like, all right, so here's what happened. Let me know your thoughts. Um, you know, and of course we respect confidentiality and everything like that, but we can describe generally the situation and our reaction to be like, what do you think about this? And I think that's also a practice like both Jarell and I are in with each other on a daily basis of like, hey, so, you know, this person said this to me and this was my reaction. Like, you let me know what you thought. Like, am I crazy or do you have something similar? And to be able to take that feedback to see like, okay, is this something, you know, why am I reacting this way essentially becomes the question. And yeah, that's ongoing work in all kinds of forms. What are some of your favorite um, topics that you enjoy covering with clients? And like, what are your specific passions within therapy sessions or just in a broad idea of therapy? Yeah, I like to generally, like in a very broad sense, work with clients who just want to better themselves overall. You know, anything that manifests itself a lot in terms of like being a better person in a relationship, whether that's friends, family, you know, their significant other or whatever. Um, people who want, you know, career stuff, want to work through some career um, issues and, you know, improve in that area. Generally kind of anxiety, depression, and how that manifests itself. Um, yeah, like I said, just kind of regardless of the to- the specific topic, just generally people who want to be better versions of themselves. Um, and I just love that. I just love supporting people through life. Being a person is hard. <laughs> and so if I can help make that a little bit easier, like that's just so that's just so amazing that people trust me to help them do that. Okay, and we talked outside of the podcast before this about, you know, one of your passions is being an advocate for people to be their own advocates in yes. medical terms and for their health. Do you want to kind of talk about why why is that something you're passionate and what what in your own life has led you to be really interested in this and push for this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're right. That is totally something that I just absolutely forgot as I'm answering your question. I was like, yeah, that is a passion of mine. Thank you for <laughs> reminding me. Um, yeah, so I have a lot of personal experience with the healthcare system in general um, on a lot of different angles. So I feel like I know it pretty well because obviously, you know, I do what I do for a living. But then personally... I grew up with a mom who has been in healthcare administration for almost as long as I can remember. And in various settings, you know, medical offices, physical therapy, kind of everything. So I have an idea of kind of the back end of that. And at the same time, um, I manage chronic pain and have for, I can do math, uh, most of my life. We'll just say that because I can't calculate the years. But, and so as a result of that, and I, I have chronic pain in a way that I'm going to call is a mystery condition. Um, Not because, you know, it's something I can't describe or something I've never seen a medical provider for, but because it's not something that manifests itself in a very like specific tangible thing like, oh, you have diabetes, like it's not a clear diagnosis or like, oh, you have migraines. Um, It's kind of one of those things where it's not really well understood. And as a result, I've seen a lot of medical professionals from physical therapists to chiropractors to orthopedic surgeons to massage therapists. Like, I feel like I could go on and on. I'm probably missing some. And my experience overall, 
has been challenging. Um, in addition to actually managing chronic pain, the process to try to get healthcare for a variety of reasons has been really challenging and it's really complicated. And I say that even with the knowledge of my mom who works in the healthcare industry. And as a result, my access to care was even easier than most people's. And I still think it was a huge challenge, is a huge challenge. I don't know why I'm using past tense. This is still a challenge today. Um, and so given that, if I think it's hard, I can't even imagine what somebody who doesn't have that connection, so to speak, deals with on a regular basis. So both personally, you know, with friends and family and anybody who knows me outside of work, as well as with clients, like anything I can do to make that process easier or to give them kind of behind the scenes information that they might not get otherwise all the time. Like I, I'm an open book. Like I'm happy to help anyone who needs it because man, is it hard. Yeah. I think about that all the time too. I grew up, um, my mom was a physician and so I always felt like, you know, I had kind of similar to you, just like a, a, a voice in the medical field where, mm -hmm. you know, I could say this kind of feels off. And if I did go to a doctor and, and, you know, they said, oh, it's nothing, she would kind of know the next steps and things like that. So, you know, it's something I've never really sat down and thought about kind of the privilege that I've had in mm -hmm. in having that extra extra push and extra help in my own, you know, my own health journey through life. And it kind of isn't something I thought of until we were emailing back and forth and you said that. And then, you know, I really stopped and th thought and was like, yeah, it is really hard for people, you know, for everyone, but especially people that don't have any knowledge or anyone, any relative or anyone in their life that is pushing for them and kind of giving them outside advice. So is this kind of something you see in, in your clients a lot? Or is it something you, you know, this is something you're working with, you're pushing friends to seek out and people outside of your work? Or is this something you're working with with your clients? All of the above. Um, and it, I think it stems from everything. You know, this is part of why we built Viva Wellness with the mentality that we did and that I'm not going to tell anybody that I know better about what they need than they do. You know, if someone comes in and says, this doesn't work for me, or I understand the downsides of doing something, but I feel really strongly about it and I need to be able to do it. I am not going to sit there and tell them that they can't or that they shouldn't. And because they're going to, well, if I can't help them, I'm going to listen to them, right? If I say, you know, hey, I think what would really help your anxiety is meditating, for example. And they go, you know what? Meditation doesn't really work for me. I've tried. It's just not my jam. You'd be surprised or maybe not <laughs> how many healthcare providers, therapists, whomever would say, oh, but, you know, maybe you're doing it wrong. Or, oh, did you try this meditation? Or, oh, what about this? Or like, oh, no, it's fine. Why? Just take it, right? They don't want to do meditation. Okay. Maybe they'll circle back to it at a later point in time if it's something that makes sense in the future. But just take that. And I think that stems from not necessarily like formal training as a therapist, but my personal experience of that, you know, I, like I said, I have a whole complicated explanation as to what happens with my body. But one of the things that I am very clear about anytime I go to see a new physical therapist, for example, who wants to give me, you know, rehab exercises or strength training or anything is I can't do knee bends. No squats, no lunges, anything that like bears weight on my knees, like my body weight is just no. I want to say 99% of the people that I have seen has some response of like, oh, but like, just do it this way. Or like, oh, but you know, but maybe the form is off or like, oh, but just even a little bit. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> I've been dealing with this since I was 14. I'm in my 30s. Like, no, no knee bends. Like, I'm not just saying this because I have some weird prejudice about it. Like, I know. And despite me saying, hey, this is a condition that I've managed for 20 years to some extent. I, I know my body. It like it almost means nothing. And so how is that helpful? And how is that 
rapport building that I say to somebody, hey, listen, here's something I've tried in the past. It's gone awry. I don't want to do it again. And, you know, I'm pretty direct. Like, so I'm not even saying this hesitantly and still, no, no, I know better. What? (laughs) And so as a therapist, like I never do that to a client. And I also have spoken to both clients and people in my personal life on several occasions to let them know like, hey, if someone does that to you, that's not cool. That's not okay. I know it happens often, but that's still not okay. Yeah, that is just powerful um, thinking, you know, you do know yourself and someone like you is bold enough to say, no, I know myself, I know what I need and not everyone's able to be an advocate for themselves. So the work you're doing to help give people voice is powerful in in helping their health. And beyond that, just kind of like making them feel like they can be heard too. I think that's a big thing that, that you speak to is you aren't telling your clients to to do something different just because it's what you think. You're making them feel heard in their specific needs. Right. It's a collaborative relationship. You know, it's not me telling them what they should do. I don't, I don't know what works best for them. I, I don't know where, you know, they might feel comfortable and where they might not until they tell me. And when they tell me that they're not comfortable with something, I'm going to believe them. Um, you know, I think a common thing in therapy as well is that people, and I've heard this from clients so often, and it just blows my mind, that, you know, they'll meet with therapists and they say, well, you have to come every single time, every single week at the same time for X amount of weeks or else I won't see you. Well, what if they can't do that? Like people have jobs, people have families, people have other things that they want to dedicate their time to. So why are you making therapy more stressful? Another stressor for them. So if they say, you know, oh, hey, I can't afford it once a week, but I can come every other week. Or like my schedule doesn't permit me to come at the same time every week, but I'll schedule each week at the end of my session. Why would you say no to that? You have to meet people where they are. And, you know, it's it's funny because I was told for years that I would never run, that I shouldn't run. I can't run. There's no way I can run. Um, well, I've run over 150 races, like four, three marathons and over 30 half marathons. So wow. I guess someone was wrong. And so and, you know, I still get that. I actually had I went to see a new OBGYN and never saw her before and she kind of asked basic questions of like you know what do you do to stay healthy blah 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 and I was like oh I you know I run and she had also asked like do you have do you take any other medications and I oh and I get joint fluid injections in my knees twice a year and so I always add that like hey yeah this is a medication I get twice a year and so she knew like the knee issue and I then proceeded to get a 15 minute lecture about why I should not run because it will destroy my knees and I'm like I'm not even here for this Like, I'm not even here for anything PT, running, sports related. I did not ask you for this. And also, what? Stop. It's like, why? Why? (laughs) Like, why is this happening? Needless to say, I didn't go back. Right. I saw her once. I didn't go back. I'm like, I'm not doing this. But people without the, you know, I'm fortunate and I'm kind of saying that a little bit sarcastically to have a lot of years of experience meeting with various healthcare providers. And I have, you know, like I said, I have a parent who not only worked in healthcare, but is also very assertive and often pushy, especially when it comes to her daughter. And I watched her advocate for me for a long time. Um, So I had a good model. But not everybody has that. And I think there's not a lot of information about, you know, that it is okay to push back or to not accept a healthcare provider that doesn't listen to you and doesn't respect your own feelings or your own desires or what's important to you. It's just not, it's not okay for them not to do that. And that message does not get delivered or modeled nearly enough. And which is why you get people who are like, I'm here to give you your annual OBGYN exam, but also let me lecture you about your joints that you did not ask for. <laughs> so you, when did you start running? Because I do want to talk, get into running. We're both avid runners and we can't do this whole podcast conversation without talking about running. So when did you start running? And like, was this, how did the pain, the chronic pain kind of manifest itself and in your running? Was it something that it took away for a long time and then you kind of jumped back in or how did that timeline look? Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, 
five black belts. I've always been active. Um, it was martial yeah. arts for a really long time, you know, middle school, high school, college, basically up until I moved to the city for grad school and then, you know, life. And so that was something it kind of started popping up when I was in martial arts. And it was something that was when the journey started and it limited me in certain ways there. Um, and then like throughout grad school and just early on, um, you know, nothing really intense, you know, I'd exercise for the sake of exercising, basically, because like, I like to move generally. Um, but I always felt like I was kind of missing that, you know, competition and pushing yourself to be the best version of yourself. And black belt exams were like 12 hours long and started at seven o'clock in the morning and ended at like, you know, 10pm with only a few breaks in between. And I loved that. And I missed it. And, you know, at the same time, my mom was always a runner. Um, I watched her finish the New York City Marathon in 2009, among many other, you know, half marathons and smaller races. And it was just always so fun to spectate. And I just loved that finish line feeling of like watching other people do that. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, this is the best. Like, you push yourself and then you have this huge feeling of joy and accomplishment. And like, this is like, I want to like, I live for this stuff. But I was always told I couldn't run. And then at one point, I had had a really bad kind of flare up of pain you know, to kind of summarize what was going on. And despite me doing like everything that I was supposed to be doing to manage it, like it was still bad. Um, there was a moment that I will never forget in which I was sitting at a restaurant and couldn't make it through dinner because like I felt like I had knives in my kneecaps and mm. I couldn't sit at a restaurant. Considered a restaurant, couldn't go to like have drinks with friends. And I'm like, well, this is ridiculous. Like this isn't working. And so in my kind of like, spiteful, defiant, you know, hopeless a little bit mindset. I was like, you know what? If this is what it is, like, I'm gonna do what I want. If it's gonna be this bad regardless, like how much worse could this possibly be? And I'm like, I'm gonna run. I've always wanted to run, I'm gonna run. And so I said, you know, I'm gonna run a half marathon. And my body doesn't like new things. <laughs> and so when I kind of started the training, there were definitely some setbacks and it got really hard where I was like, you know, maybe I can't do this. Long story short, I finished the New York City half in 2014. Congrats. Thank you. It was the best day and it was the best feeling ever. And about like 0.3 miles from the finish line, I decided I was going to run a full. And I <laughs> did that the next year, very undertrained in retrospect, but I finished. And it has been the best decision I ever made. Um, I don't know where I would be if I never decided to run. I don't think Viva Wellness would be a thing. I, I just, I don't even know. It was everything I was missing for all the years since I had been in martial arts. And, you know, like I said, I have, it would be more, but thank you 2020 for canceling everything. <laughs> right? But I have finished over 150 races. Within and how many years? So my first one was in 2013. Oh my goodness. That's like... Um, Seven yeah. years and 150 races. Yeah, I give New York Roadrunners a lot of my money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you better be getting a good discount at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And I'm grateful for every single finish line. It's just the best thing ever, and I have an amazing support system. Um, another fun fact about Jarrell is that he's a great race spectator. Um, he stands in the rain yeah. and in the cold. He stood in nine degree weather to watch a race and he has yet to tell me to go screw myself so oh, you know I love really that. star person there um but it's the best thing ever and that is always my example you know i don't give i'm not giving anybody medical advice of like hey it doesn't matter what's wrong with you you can absolutely run because like i'm not about that i have no idea please go see a doctor but also know that your only limit is you. Like you define mm -hmm. your limitations. Do not let someone else define your limitations. Like take in the information and take in what they're saying, but then you decide what you want to do with that. Like not anything that someone says is 100% true or has to be taken as gospel because all the doctors who told me I couldn't run clearly were wrong. And you talk about, you know, a flare up of pain. Are you in pain every day on every run and just kind of like sitting around every day? Or is it, is it what you talk about? Like it comes and goes maybe a month here, a month there. What does that kind of look like in your everyday life? Yeah. So generally speaking, yes, I am in pain every day to some extent. Ugh. Um, Ugh. like right now my back hurts. Um, if we want to get real specific, 
ironically enough, sitting is usually what makes things kind of flare or get worse. Um, you know, there's some ways it manifests itself during running, but it actually, when I move, it's usually less. So like I said, I have, you know, the closest thing to kind of a diagnosis or diagnoses that I would say is that the joint fluid injections in my knees are a result of what a doctor once called the worst case of patellofemoral syndrome he's ever seen. It's like, that was kind of like a prideful moment. I'm like, well, I'm going to have this, like at least like I'm winning something. Um, and a then, true runner with that competitive Right. Spirit. I was like, all right, well, at least like I'm the best of the worst. I don't know how you would say that. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then kind of in the rest of my body, it's, you know, essentially the closest thing is myofascial pain syndrome where, you know, things get really tight and sometimes they want to loosen and sometimes they don't. And sometimes something will stay tight or flared up for weeks at a time. And I have to really work to stretch it out, to roll, to like lie on a massage ball for hours at a time. Um, and sometimes it works in like an hour and no big deal. And sometimes I'm dealing with it for weeks. Um, certain chairs are problematic. Um, sitting in one spot for too long. I'm a real treat when we go on vacation because no hotel mattress is acceptable. Um, and so that's always fun. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, there's different ways that all of it combined kind of manifests itself while running. But it's ironic that the more I move, usually the better it is. And so like the beginning of a run is often really hard. But like, you know, two, three miles in, it usually it 99% of the time feels significantly better. Um, which, you know, is another thing I've tried to explain to people. A PT once told me like, oh, if you have pain above a four, like don't run. And I'm like, all right, I wouldn't get out of bed if that was my rule. Um, you know, my body doesn't work the same way as everybody else's. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely running related. And honestly, running has given me a lot of purpose because it's a lot easier to say, hey, I need to spend, you know, 20 minutes with a massage ball or two hours with a massage ball on the spot to get this knot out so I can go run my long run versus like, oh, I need to do this so I can sit down in my chair. Like that's not, that's a whole different set of like emotional baggage. Right. And so it gives me more of a purpose to do what I need to do to generally feel better. Um, but yeah, I would, so that's kind of the long winded way of saying like, yeah, it's, you know, it's just a matter of degree on a good day. It's like a three on a bad day. It's like a seven and, you know, kind of stays there or it's a situation where like, I'm not in a position to be able to like move around or get up from a chair. And so like at that point it becomes difficult because obviously I'm kind of sitting there like, oh my God, I want to get up, but I'm in like the middle of a meeting or like I'm at a restaurant and it's not cool to eat standing up, um, things like that. Well, I'm glad you picked back up with running and are able to do that since you speak about how it gets better with movement. So it's amazing that you did decide one day, just screw it, I'm going to go for a run. And it's brought so much passion and happiness into your life and also kind of helped combat the pain. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the past version of me who decided to do that like on a very regular basis um because you know like i said it's i'd probably have to do kind of the same stuff anyway that you know all the prehab and everything that runners do but mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong like there are days where i sit on the couch like knowing if i just did something it would be really helpful but i'm like i'm just so emotionally spent because it can be exhausting to have to think about it all the time right um, I read a essay on, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Players Tribune website. Yeah. Okay. So I read an essay on it that like, I probably should remember um, this woman's name because I just love this essay. Um, but I don't remember her name. I believe she was a volleyball player though, that she essentially described like she had a condition in which she lives with chronic pain as well. And she described it as it's all kinds of calculations throughout the day. Right. You're calculating like, OK, what will this chair do to me? Like, how long can I sit here? Like, how long can I walk here? You know, do I need to stretch this area? Like, oh, I feel something, you know, in my hip. Is that a big deal or will it go away? Like, what will help? Like, what should I do? And on an average day or on a good day, it's just kind of second nature. It's just this is what you do to live life. And on a bad day, it's just so heavy and exhausting. Um, but even throughout that, 
you know, to do it, to run, you know, and to say like, okay, you need to keep trying. You need to put forth this effort to go do this thing you love is a lot different in terms of mentality and motivation <laughs> compared to, oh, you have to go do this, you know, thing that causes so much mental energy just to be able to be a human. Absolutely. Do you have a kind of like a support group that is experiencing the same thing? I mean, you don't have kind of a name for this chronic pain and a condition. Like it's not a specific illness that can be named. As you said, it, it's been kind of a mystery, but do you know anyone else that faces this that you can kind of talk to and be like, oh, this sucks? Not really. Um, you know, at least not anybody who's kind of gone through something similar because it's always it's always like a weird thing. I think it's different to, you know, not that I would choose to have, you know, something more serious um, or like something more chronic, like, uh, you know, ulcer of colitis or something like that. Like, I would not want that. That's, I'm not going to ask for that trade because uh, that sounds terrible. But, you know, that's something that you can name and it fits nicely into a box. Unfortunately, when you have, whether it's chronic pain or a chronic illness or even a mental health condition that doesn't kind of fit anywhere, it's hard to find that community, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, you know, at the same time, I think there's a lot of resources for chronic pain generally. Um, it's not nearly as understood as I think it should be, which is like a separate rant. But I think I'm also really lucky to have people in my life that do understand and do acknowledge that this is a huge part of my daily life, but also don't try to fix it for me or don't try to judge me for it, you know, and, and, you know, I think it's hard sometimes and I give them credit because it must be difficult to understand like, you know, hey, I, you know, don't want to do X thing because of pain, but like, let me go run 10 miles. Um, and, you <laughs> right. know, the less supportive people question that and I get a lot of pushback and it's not supportive. You know, I was actually just saying on an event that I did with Jarell. It's funny because I think, you know, 99% of people, if not everyone in my life that I know, if I said like, hey, you know, I, I manage chronic pain, like, will you help? Do you support me? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let me know what you need. But then when it push comes to shove and it's something where like we're in a restaurant and I say to somebody like, hey, actually, like I need to sit there rather than there. Or can you leave, you know, there's only three of us at a table for four. Can you leave the empty seat on my right? Um, people like get pushed back, like are, you know, well, why? Like, does that's weird. Like, does that matter? Or like, oh, well, you know, maybe you'd just be in less pain if you didn't run. It's like, well, okay. So not only did no one ask you, like you're wrong. Um, and so it, that's probably the people who wouldn't do something like that, kind of like a microaggression for chronic pain is mm -hmm. I can like maybe count like four people off the top of my head. Really? Um, yeah, it's hard. Um, wow. Cause I think if you can't see it, like on the outside, I have run three marathons. I've run right. like tons of half marathons. like that doesn't look like a person who also like can't sit in a particular chair um, or who like can't fly on a plane if they're not in the aisle seat. And it, it doesn't, and if people can't see it, I think it's hard for them to conceptualize it. And unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, going back to the whole, like sometimes healthcare providers aren't supportive. They're not really great at just listening to and believing other people's experiences. Where if I say like, hey, this is going to be a problem for me. And subtext is like, and if you make me explain and defend myself, like I am now emotionally exhausted mm -hmm. and now like I'm just done. Um, you know, people don't necessarily get that. It's uh, there's definitely a lot of questioning like, oh, well, you, you know, ran 10 miles today. Why do you need X? OK, like, uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> it. It's often easier to just suck up the pain than to have to kind of go through that emotional energy, which is really an unfortunate place to be in. But I think that's what a lot of people experience when they don't feel listened to or heard where they're just like, you know what, I'll deal. Yeah. And the thing is, you don't owe anyone the explanation. Right. So you probably do just get super sick of explaining yourself and frustrated with people not just accepting it from the start. But it is hard. I mean, I know even myself, I'm at fault with this. You kind of don't don't understand if you've never been through something like that when you can't see it. It's kind of easy to write off as like, oh, they're being just like picky. Right, exactly. Or yeah, it's like, 
exactly what you said. Like, I have to explain myself. It's like, what? Like, I'm making it up? Right. Why, why, why would, would I do you? that? <laughs> right. I don't want to have these conversations with you. <laughs> these are not fun. Why would I lie? And yeah, I think it's definitely, and you know, and that's just such an awful conversation to have because it's just like, it's just so exhausting where you're like, you know what? I'm trying to trust you to help me and you're questioning me. Like, this is not... This is not going to work. And I think a lot of people, you know, accept that from both healthcare providers, but also friends and family. And, you know, this is not to say that if you're in a similar position that, like, please pick a fight with everybody because, my God, like, I, you'll fall, you'll fall over. You'll be so tired. Yeah. But it's that idea of, you know, being an advocate for yourself is also about being really choosy about who you spend your time with and who you trust to support you. Um, you know, I don't talk about running or you know my experience with pain with people who have given me that feedback like I just don't do it and so and I can only be so close to somebody who can't share that major part of my life but like I'm not going to leave myself open to that exhaustion or you know that hurt it hurts it's really hard when someone you know just kind of dismisses or questions you about something that is already so hard to deal with Mm -hmm. and I I'm not going to involve you in that part of my life, which means you're not getting a huge part of who I am, which means the relationship is limited. And some people, that just is what it is. Um, But, you know, that really, it's okay to limit your vulnerability and your openness with everybody because not everybody deserves it, frankly. And I think something that is not really understood about, you know, chronic pain or chronic illness, or at like the very least, you know, this has been my experience, is that a lot of times... And, you know, that's not to say there are not times or flares where, like, it's just a lot of pain. Um, But, you know, that's actually more rare. Like, normally, it you know, I don't get to a nine and then have to function throughout my day. You know, Mm. it hovers, like, between a three and a seven. And you get good at managing that, right? The actual physical sensation of it, like... It's funny because I'll go to like different massage therapists or like PTs and they're like, oh, is this too much pressure? I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm so used to this. Like, I push like harder on my own person. Like, I I got you. Um, The physical pain is not the issue. It's the mental energy that living with it takes. And that's often like when I have just really hard times managing it. It's that it's just like I'm so mentally tired and so emotionally tired of you know, being okay with like, this is my reality and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon and going through the motions of trying something and having it not work or, you know, just the day-to-day exhaustion of living with it, especially when, you know, it sticks around for a little bit, a little while at a higher level. That's the hard part. That's the hard part is that trying to do everything while also like living with this kind of heaviness And that's what you need people to support. And so, you know, people also like to do this fun thing of giving suggestions of like, oh, well, you should do this. Okay, thank you. Like, I I got you. Like, I I know how to manage it. It's been 20 years. I, I know. Trust me. I got you. But it's also like, I don't need you to help me manage the pain. I need you to help me manage the experience of living with the pain. And sometimes that is just like, hey, I know you're in a flare. So here's some ice cream. Or, you know, looking at somebody like really sincerely and just being like, hey, I see that you're tired, but like you can do this. Like you can keep going. You got this. Or like, you know what? It's worth it. Like this is worth it. Keep pushing. It will be over. Like you can do it. Like here's a hug. Like do you need anything? Do you need to just cry? Do you, you know, like I said, do you want ice cream? Do you want a pizza? Like what do you need to feel better? Like how can I make the process of managing this easier for you? And one way that you absolutely cannot is to question someone when they tell you what they need. Because even that effort of saying, hey, I need this from you takes energy. And it's just so deflating when you go through and you gear up for that. And then they're just like, nah. Yeah. Doesn't that just reflect just being a good person and being yes. open and, <laughs> and listening to what people need? Because yeah, by the time you kind of cry for help, you've already been through an exhausting battle with yourself. Yep, exactly. And just, yeah, believing other people's experiences. Right. Yeah, I love that part. Yeah, just, you know, recognizing that, especially if you know someone intimately, right, um, that manages something like this or just any kind of chronic condition is just, you know, 
pay attention, know the signs of them going through a hard time. And when you see that happening, you know, ask before they can or just offer something of like, hey, saw you, you know, doing X more often than usual. Like, are you okay? Like, can I help? Or even just like, hey, you know what? Like, let me, you know, if it's like your partner, like, let me cook dinner for you. Like, just hang out. I see you're kind of going through it right now. Or even just like a friend, you know, sending a text message that's like, hey, like, how's it going? Like, are you okay? Like, I'm thinking of you. Like, how are you doing right now? Um, you know, checking in, letting somebody know that someone is there for them without them having to make the effort to ask. Yeah, it's even just, I mean, I said just being open to doing something for someone and that is just mm-hmm. listening and saying, you're right, this sucks. Like, I'm sorry. Yep. Instead of taking away from their experience and saying, no, it's not true. And that side of it. Yeah, and I think that's where people, you know, and the intention when somebody says, you know, oh, here's a suggestion, I think is a good one. Right, I agree. Um, Yeah, and, and, you know, and I don't want to take away from that to say, like, oh, all these people who are trying to make suggestions are pure evil and how dare they. I think the intention is good, but that's just not often what people need help with um, because that part is usually covered, right? That's almost, you know, not easy to implement, but easy to get the information. Like, I promise I've read everything. Um, I've seen everybody, right? Like, so... If you think you have something new, like you got to give me a pretty good reason why you think this is different than everything else I've ever, you know, known or seen. But what you need help with is kind of just like the management of it, Um, you know, and just understanding someone's experience and knowing that you're there to support them. And right, like you said, just acknowledging that like, hey, yeah, that sucks. And, you know, despite the suck, like, man, don't you rock, right? Like you're going, you're still moving forward despite how awful the situation might be. Like, I see you, I see you fighting. Um, And even just that is super helpful with very little, you know, effort, so to speak, from the other person. I see you fighting. I love that. I really love what you speak to on this and just kind of the overall idea of just like, believing in what people have to say and listening and if you have the means or the energy giving a hand and helping just makes the world a better place for sure yeah absolutely I mean and it's so simple too you know there was at one point where it was not a great week or day and like my husband came home with like my favorite pizza and like oh, that just, yeah. you know, that just made it better, right? And it wasn't like, here's pizza to make your pain better. Because like, if only, you know, I eat pizza every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just like, hey, here you go. Just, you know, letting you know that like, I'm thinking of you. Or um, earlier in this year, because like 2020 is just so great. Um, I had a stress fracture in February. Oh, and no. Yeah, good times. Um, and before I knew it was a stress fracture, you know, before you get the MRI and it gets officially diagnosed, like my first instinct is like, oh my God, like something weird is happening with my person again, because that happens, you know, that I'll just have these bizarre things that get stuck or, you know, twisted around. And I'm like, nobody knows what it is or why it happened. And I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be yet another thing I have to deal with. Like, I'm so exhausted. And I was really, really upset about it. And, you know, my mom, all she said to me was like, hey, listen, this isn't that Like, not everything is that. This is a simple, straightforward injury. It's a running injury. It's not a your body is weird injury. You're going to be okay. And even just that perspective, right? Because sometimes when you get in a hole of, like, managing something chronic and difficult, it's just, it's hard to see past, like, the fog and just having someone to be like, hey, you're going to be okay. Or, you know, hey, this might not be the worst case scenario because when you manage you know, I think a chronic condition, you get very used to thinking like, this is the worst case scenario all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to give someone perspective and to say like, you're going to be okay, I support you or I see you. It's just so simple and can seriously mean the world. Yeah, perspective without taking away from their experience for sure. Yeah, A hard balance to strike, but so special when it, when someone can do that for you. 100%. All right. I mean, we could talk forever. There's so many more things that I want to hear just about you and your practice and Viva Wellness, but I will hit you with the end of the podcast questions. Okay. Um, I'm excited. What is the best, most recent book that you've read? 
Oh, okay. So you're asking me this, and like I'm now totally blanking on the name. Um, <laughs> but the most recent one was Jodi Picoult's most recent book. Um, oh, it's gonna bother me. I'm gonna think of this at like three. The name of it at like three o'clock in the morning, and no one will care at that point. But whatever, her go look for her most recent book that she has published, and it's that, and it's good. I love every one of her books. Oh yeah, she's one of my favorites for sure. Who is someone that's illuminating or inspiring in your own life right now? This is actually usually an example, but it's especially relevant because I'm super excited that baseball's back. So for my last marathon um, last year, I wrote on my hand, what would CC do? And in reference to a former Yankees pitcher, CC Sabathia, who I really hope is listening to this and I just will like be my friend. Um, but he actually deals with the same knee condition I do. And so in addition to just like loving him as a baseball player, like I always kind of felt that, you know, camaraderie, so to speak of like, yeah, hey, me too. Um, but so he retired last year and literally pitched until his arm fell off. Um, like literally his arm fell out of its socket on Wait, the mound. Wait, no way. Yes. And that was the last pitch he wow. ever threw. Like he was going to retire that year anyway, but he walked off the mound like after he threw a pitch and his arm literally fell out of a socket. Wow. And a so, bad, but honestly, right. like a good way to end it. Like right. you did everything you could. Literally left it all out there. And so that is like my new marathon mantra of like, especially when managing, you know, chronic pain is like you keep pushing forward until you absolutely can't. Um, and, you know, that's you been my go-to for a while, but especially now, because like I said, I'm very excited that baseball's back. Oh, I love that. Um, and then what is your one message to send to the world? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I think I would go with what I said earlier and that your only limit is you. You decide where you're limited and where you're not and what works for you. Um, you know, don't let anyone else define that for you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Rachel Gersten. If you enjoyed hearing about the mental health field and Viva Wellness in general, I'd really appreciate if you went back and listened to my conversation with Jarell Carabello on episode 46 of the Illuminate podcast. Jarell is Rachel's business partner and is the co-founder of Viva Wellness with her. So it's a really good compliment to this conversation and you'll enjoy hearing the other side of the friendship story. If you want to follow Rachel and all that she does, you can follow her at Rachel Gersten on Instagram. And then you can follow Viva Wellness at Viva Wellness NYC on Instagram. And while you're over there on social media, we would love if you gave the Illuminate podcast some love. You can follow us on Twitter at Illuminate underscore pod and on Instagram at the Illuminate podcast. And of course, if you want to follow all of the podcasts uh, in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network, you can follow at Sandy Boy Productions on Instagram, or you can search Sandy Boy Productions in any podcast app that you use, and you'll find both All Have Another and Up and Running podcasts to follow along with all that we do in this network. All right, friends, thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you have a good rest of your week.